Ah, yes, somebody must be trying to campaign for a permanent spot. I mean, they basically already have one at FrenchStretch.com as we uh, welcome you back here into the fast lane. A little bit of an adjusted schedule. Normally, it's 5.30 p.m. on a Thursday, but we're moving things around a little bit. David Teal of Richmond.com a little bit earlier, and then, of course, uh, momentarily, Tom Bowles of FrenchStretch.com. But we have to go into the theme of the week as we learn from the Super Bowl halftime show with Usher confessions everybody knows I am as in the tank for Ty Gibbs as possible so we need confessions out of Tom Bowles of frontstretch.com whether he and Michael Massey tag teamed to heap praise on my guy Ty Gibbs or whether that was merely coincidental on the Happy Hour podcast that both of them expect big things out of the driver of the number 54 car for Joe Gibbs Racing. So, Tom, we have to put you on the spot to start the fast lane. Yeah, we'll get to all the NASCAR-related stuff uh, elsewhere momentarily, but did you and Michael Massey conspire to try to earn goodwill here in the fast lane with that prediction and praise for Ty Gibbs? Uh, I, I wouldn't get too big a head, Ed. Uh, I, I don't think there was any conspiracy going on. But what Ty did at the Clash speaks for itself. And it's not just what he did at the Clash. It's what he did quietly over the second half of last season, in particular over the last 10 races, that I think stands out for me as he enters his second year. And we talk about sophomore slump a lot of times, but I, I think JGR is really going to start putting more resources behind the 54, you know, it, I feel like, you know, within that four-car operation, Ty got his groove, you know, found his groove over the second half, and, you know, it's somebody that's poised for a breakout within a Toyota organization that prizes quality over quantity. You know, we've seen all four of Joe Gibbs Racing's teams make the playoffs before, and it's not inconceivable to me that we could have another year of growth from Ty Gibbs. He wins, makes the playoffs, and everybody else maintains. You mentioned that with Ty Gibbs. I mean, we're going to ride this for a moment. We will talk other NASCAR topics here in the fast lane, and then that's probably when Trey's going to want to re-engage with us here. Because I'm, 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 you know, I'm not shocked you started off with Ty Gibbs. You're not. No, not at all. So anyway, Tom. Hey, spoiler alert! He'll pick Ty Gibbs tomorrow. By the way, Tom. Just uh, if you, you tune in tomorrow, he's going to pick Ty Gibbs. Oh, we're going to have a lot of fun tomorrow <laughs> because we've mentioned that confessions. That's a theme this week. <laughs> As Usher would remind us. And I gave things up for Lent, but oh, there were certain things I might have done before giving up sports betting for Lent. And Trey is going to have a field day with that relative to Ty Gibbs tomorrow in the fast lane in our votes of confidence. I will explain that later. That is a tease that we've already been putting off for a couple of days. But anyway, Tom, for Ty Gibbs, how much of the excitement around him is what he showed last season coupled with the Bush Clash? How much of it is the fact that while people may not like Ty Gibbs and may classify him as an Austin Dillon or a Paul Menard or someone who's there because of his birthright and how he was born into the right situation, I mean, you also look at the guy and there has been a lot of talent that he has possessed and it looks like he's starting to harness and find that. And other drivers, by the way, seem to be advocating for that too. Absolutely. Here's the thing about Paul Menard, even in Austin Cindric, right? They haven't won as consistently moving up the ranks as Ty Gibbs has won. And, you know, we saw Austin Cindric struggle in his second season. He won the Daytona 500 and then seemed to have backslid. I, I think Ty Gibbs, 
just improved consistently as the year went on in Cup. And you know, he's with an organization that has championship-level equipment. So I, it's somebody that has been you know, well-groomed for the ride that he's in. And to your point about different family situations, well, if we just said everybody in the buy-ride category is incapable of winning or, or being in the top five every week, well, then what about Chase Elliott? What about when Chase just started out and was utilizing Bill Elliott to get to his place in the sport? And I think few would argue that Chase is anything less than a top-tier driver. I think very few would argue that as well. And ultimately, talent matters as much as anything. Um, You guys, though, were bold in your Front Stretch podcast regarding Ty Gibbs. Um, You had him as the surprise driver of the year. It might be the layup to some. Uh, It's not even a surprise. Layup of all layups. I mean, for me in the fast lane, everyone knows I'm picking that. At least he didn't have the worst breakout star pick as... Brian Nolan picked multi-time race winner Alex Bowman. So let's <laughs> yeah breakout star. That's more like comeback player of the year mode right there. Although you can put Chase Elliott in that category too, Tom. But no, to the Ty Gibbs part of this, uh, it was you, Adam, as the breakout star. It was Michael Massey of FrontStretch.com who had Ty Gibbs as a championship four finalist. Are we getting carried away with that or because of the random nature combined with a top flight ride and some pretty good talent that this format NASCAR has with the playoffs creates a scenario where uh, we saw it last year. Martin Truex Jr. was the regular season champion. He disappeared and someone like Orion Blaney can get hot and ride that momentum into a championship. Well, remember... NASCAR's championship format, which has now been around for over 10 years. This is year 11, right? If you win, you're in. We have not yet seen a situation in the first 10 years where if you win a race during the regular season and you are eligible for the postseason, you don't make it. So all it takes is one. It takes one really good race from Ty at Bristol. It takes one really good race for Ty at a road course. It takes one really good super speedway race where something goes ties way and then all of a sudden he's in the postseason and he's got that JGR experience behind him and you know I I think that makes a big difference now you know that we're 10 plus years in the format drivers know that that's all they need to make it and so you know we could see a situation where you know all it's going to take is one and sometimes when you get that first win you have the confidence and the momentum to go and knock off a couple more. Tom Bowles of FrontStretch.com with us here in the fast lane. The duels are tonight for NASCAR at Daytona. Truck Friday, likely to get that in. Xfinity Saturday, that's doubtful with the weather forecast. And then the rain looks like it'll die off Sunday afternoon in time for the Daytona 500. So we're touching on speed weeks here and the season ahead with Tom Bowles of FrontStretch.com. We mentioned the rise of a guy like Ty Gibbs. Oftentimes when drivers fall off, it's not like it's an obvious slow regression. It can be fairly sudden, and it works that way in sports, too. When the fall-off happens, it's often really, really quick. Are we going to see that out of a Martin Truex Jr., a Denny Hamlin, or one of these other veteran drivers who's toward the back half of their career? Well, I think for Denny, I think, and I said this on the podcast, he's in now-or-never mode when it comes to the championship. Denny is of the age that Darren Hart was when he won his final championship, and right around when Richard Petty won his final championship. Richard was 42, I believe. And you, you look at some of the biggest drivers. You know, Bobby Allison holds the record for oldest champion at 45. You know, these are all Hall of Fame guys that got to their mid-40s, and that was the limit. 
so we've seen exceptions over time, right? We saw Mark Martin not too long ago race really well into his 50s. At age 50, finished second in the championship. But for both Truex and Denny, and in particular Denny, I think we're at an inflection point because the 11 team is going to be under increasing pressure as the years go on from Christopher Bell and from Ty Gibbs. And remember, that's the grandson in the seat of Joe Gibbs Racing. And once he starts becoming successful, I think there there could be some interesting stuff at play there. And then you, know, you look at Truex, Truex really only has one, maybe two more years max. I think he, it, it's made very clear that it, you know, to everybody internally that 2024 is the last year, at absolute worst case, 2025. So it's now or never for these guys. And I do think they will perform well this year because of that. I, I think they know the pressure's on and they want to make the best of what time they have left. Tom Bowles, frontstretch.com NASCAR reporter with us in the fast lane. Tom, uh, forgive me if my memory is clouded, but you might have been the bold one who actually thought that Chase Elliott would underperform this year. Now, is this He does. He hates, to be clear to the fans out there, he hates Chase Elliott. Just at, at NASCAR Bowles, he hates Chase Elliott. See, uh, Tom, we deal with this embellishment from Trey all the time in the fast lane, so it comes as no surprise that now he's attaching that to you, which he has done for me. Now, we give you a chance to offer some clarity. Is this Chase Elliott will not win a race and will be the next Quinn Huff? God rest, God bless Quinn Huff, of course. Or is this more the expectations that are placed on Chase Elliott may be hard to meet, yet he could still win a couple of races and comfortably be a playoff threat? So here's the deal with Chase Elliott, guys, right? My favorite NFL team is my beloved Philadelphia Eagles. And they had a collapse at the end of last year, but chose to retain their head coach, Nick Sirianni, right? And so the question that everybody's going to ask going into the following season was, was that the right move? If the Eagles are really successful, everybody's going to go, that was great that you kept Sirianni. And if the Eagles don't do so well, they'll be like, well, why didn't you just ask Sirianni a year earlier when you had this collapse? I think what we're going to see with Chase is whether or not it was the right move to keep the majority of the core intact. They changed the spotter, but you still have that same driver-crew chief relationship. And was this the right move for him? And you you look at Chase and how off he's been. I remember at the end of the 2022 season, I've told this story before, at Phoenix – he just looked exhausted and ready for things to be over. And then, you know, 2023, he never got his feet underneath him. He got hurt early, missed that time, then got suspended for what happened in the Code 600. There were just so many things that really kept him from getting balanced. And this whole time, Kyle Larson's been the heart of Hendrick. William Byron's gotten so strong with a championship contender, championship four. So there's increasing pressure within the organization where Chase is not guaranteed the number one spot there. So I think we're going to see whether or not they should have made more changes. And why I worry about Chase is I do think they should have made more. Every driver-crew chief relationship has its end, right? We saw that with Jeff Gordon and Steve Letard. We saw that with, you know, multiple pairings through the years. Jeff Gordon and Ray Evercam, you know, there were just, you know, sometimes it was just time, right? Like, and so I think that, like, they underestimated what changes might need to happen at the nine to re-motivate Chase to be the best driver that he can be, and we'll see if they pay the price. Tom, 
last year there was Chris Busher who came seemingly out of nowhere with RFK Racing. That's Brad Keselowski's group with Roush Fenway Keselowski Racing. Um, we're going to take Ty Gibbs out of this part because you, me, and plenty of other folks out there are expecting a breakout year for Ty Gibbs. Who is best positioned, whether it's a driver or an organization in NASCAR, to do what Chris Buescher did? And it may not start at the beginning of the year, but by the back half of the regular season, we're starting to go, oh, wow, look at them come on. They're a legitimate threat to win races and be a playoff team. Now, that, I think, is a really good question. And one of the new pairings that I'm looking at that I think is a far less likely chance as what you know, we saw out of Chris Buescher, but the new Spire program with Zane Smith and Carson Hosovar there and then Corey LaJoy still anchoring that program, they have been nowhere near the playoffs their entire existence. But you've got a future track house driver that's basically in a rent-a-ride for Spire. You've got additional resources there. And you know, with a three-car organization, we saw with Carson, that 77 car, it's not just what he did in the 42. He was able to take that 77 car. I remember the first time out in Gateway, it was a top 15 car before trouble hit. So, you know, they have the ability to potentially have their best year yet in the series. And I'd be real interested to see if they could sneak out a win for Corey on a super speedway or if Zane and Carson could overperform, it's not inconceivable that they can somehow land one driver in the playoffs through strategy or some other means. I really think that that's possible. Now, I don't think they're going to have a Chris Buescher-like run and go all the way to the final eight or anything like that, but I think that would be a huge step forward for an organization that's always been on the back half of the garage and is known for cutting costs and not necessarily putting their best foot forward in terms of resources. I think they've finally gotten to a point where they can put it all together and make a run. Tom, pivoting away from the overall season outlook, you've got your projections for Championship 4 and the NASCAR Cup Series champion in the Front Stretch Happy Hour podcast with Michael Massey and our very own Trey Lyle babysitting or giving hell to Brian Nolan. Uh, is that dropped earlier Good news this is week. Brian Nolan won't be on many, so we'll be okay. He oh, has his own podcast, you know. which is out. Uh, it's out, actually out now as we talk. So, Well, that's great to hear, Trey. Thank you for letting us know. And if you just subscribe to the feed, you'll get it whenever it drops. But anyway, um, pivoting to the Daytona 500, is this or even Atlanta coming up? Are they the races where we start to see the difference, good or bad, from the changes with Ford and Toyota's cars? Or do we have to wait a little bit of a while to see how they perform relative to what we know more from Chevrolet? Oh, I definitely think we got to wait a while, Ed. But I do think that having Vegas near the top, I think Vegas has always been a good bellwether for where things are because NASCAR still races more in intermediates than any other type of racetrack. And, you know, it's going to be one of those situations where you can certainly improve off of that first run, but we'll see how much work they have to do. I, I think on super speedways, I wouldn't take too much from what just happened in Daytona 500 qualifying because, look, the Fords have been very strong on Super Speedways the last few years. You know, Ryan Blaney, I think, in his victories at Talladega. I think we've seen, in general, their teamwork be better than Chevrolet and Toyota because single lap speed doesn't mean anything when you're in the middle of the draft, right? So I think we're just going to have to wait. And with that said, we usually see with new body styles, people take a step forward, not a step backward. Chevy usually has a little bit of an edge over Toyota and Ford because of its number of teams and the overall resources in the history of Hendrick Motorsports. 
but I'll tell you, I'm not sure that that's guaranteed this year with the difference in body style. We'll have to see. Tom, for the Daytona 500 itself, is Joey Logano being on the pole any kind of real omen because he's been a great super speedway racer and Ford collectively, they've worked very well together on these type of tracks, or do we still need to see more over the next handful of days before the race begins? So I think we still need to see more over the next handful of days before the race begins. You know, let me tell you something about Daytona 500 qualifying that intrigued me. Number one, Michael McDowell. Michael McDowell starting that far toward the front. He won the race a couple of years ago. They're announcing this partnership with Penske over at Front Row. I think that this is a great way to start it. And you know that Front Row puts a lot of extra energy towards super speedway racing. So I think you need to watch out there uh, in terms of that guy pulling a huge upset. I will say, pole sitter Joey Logano, even numbered years for Joey? Check this out, guys. 18 of his 32 wins have come in even numbered years since 2014, and he hasn't finished lower than fourth in the championship. He's made the championship four every single time in even numbered years. So will 2024 be the year that that pattern breaks? So far, he's shown us that he's going to come out swinging. He has. He's shown what he can do. Um, The rest of those drivers, though, do we get a feel-good story out of Daytona? Brad Keselowski finally breaking through. Maybe a dark horse like Corey LaJoy or Ryan Blaney breaking through. Or do we get something much more expected, which we've often gotten on these type of races? Um, I, I think that this year at Daytona, I think it's going to be very manufacturer-driven. And we've seen that the last couple of years. Ford, Chevy, and Toyota all working together as best they can to produce the best possible outcome for their cars and i think that there's a feel-good story that could potentially happen but you just gotta see how it all plays out with these super speedway races now it's making sure you don't make any mistakes on pit road it's making sure you avoid the racks and just keep yourself in position to win that that old line that jeff burton always says putting yourself in position i look at somebody like a todd gilliland with the way the Fords are running, that's somebody that could be a real surprise. You know, we look at the way McDowell qualified. Well, Gillen's in the same equipment, had a solid season. There's a reason why they kept him over Zane Smith. So there's that. And I also look at a guy that drives the 21 Wood Brothers car that's had a horrible first couple of years in Cup. But once again, with the Fords running well, could Harrison Burton put himself in position? He's had a strong car in previous Daytona 500s. There's that one 500 where he flipped and was basically the first car out when he might have otherwise contended, and he's not a rookie anymore. He's in, what, his third season? I, I think there's an opportunity here, and the Wood Brothers know about opportunities at Daytona because of what happened with Trevor Bain back in 2011. So you just never know. Tom, last one for you, and we appreciate your time today in the fast lane. Who is your pick to go to Victory Lane and uh, have their car taken away for a year to be at the museum at Daytona because they are a Daytona 500 champion? Oh, wow. That is really, really tough. I I think that I would like to see a little bit more in the duels tonight before I really go out on a limb. But I will say this. I feel like 2024 is going to be a year of veteran resurgence. I think that Denny Hamlin is in a really, really good spot, and he showed it at the Clash. 
I feel like Martin Truex Jr. in his potential final full-time season is really going to make a run, was really upset about how the playoffs went. So I, I feel like I'm leaning towards an older guy, and there's a guy that still hasn't won the Daytona 500 that I'm really surprised that he hasn't done it. Um, I think that it could be Brad Keselowski's year. Finally, to your point, he's got the manufacturer that's been the strongest so far. He, just a couple years ago, led the most laps in the 500, just wasn't in the right position at the right time. And it's something he has long, long coveted. And RFK has put a lot of resources, as everybody does, into this race, but is coming off the momentum of this fall. So right now... My heart is with Keselowski, but we'll see how it changes over the next couple days. NASCAR Bowls on Twitter to keep up with those moving projections and frontstretch.com for all the coverage down at Daytona. Tom, thank you for your time in the fast lane. We appreciate it much. Hear that clicker going. I know you're getting close to covering the race for frontstretch.com, and uh, we appreciate it and look forward to chatting again as the season progresses. Thanks so much. Tom Bowles with us here in the fast lane. Trey? That was fun. It was. One day. It was. Our season projections and Daytona 500 thoughts. Let's just say I may or may not. I, well, I gave my pick out on bringing the heat, but I'll say it again tomorrow. I may or may not have agreed with Tom all on right. one of his picks. All right. Fair enough. I will not pick Ty Gibbs at all this year, just for you. Just for me. You know, Trey, some things need to be settled tomorrow in the fast lane. So we will do that when we return. In the meantime, fast lane, Ed Lane, wherever you listen to podcasts, Trey Lyle VT and fast lane, Ed Lane on our socials. We're back tomorrow afternoon, five to six.